0: The first session, what we're talking talk about first is types of uh, redundancy situation. There's business closure, workplace uh, closure, and uh, diminished requirements of the business for employees to do work of a particular kind. So the first one, business closure, is, closeness, closure, oh, there we go, thank you, is closure of the business altogether. Um, redundancy, of course, is describing the situation when the employer decides to reduce the number of its employees. Either within the business as a whole or within a particular um, site or team or or job roles or whatever and typically the law doesn't interfere um with the employers freedom to make business decisions it's not a tribunal's role to to say uh, you shouldn't have made it redundant the redundancies you should have done it some other way as long as the redundancy is is fair that's as far as the tribunal uh, the tribunal will, will go and redundancy is the genuine reason for the dismissal and um, Workplace closure is where there's closure of one particular site or relocation to a new site and diminished requirements for the business of employees to do a particular kind. Uh, The the common misconception there is that there can't be a redundancy situation uh, where the work is still available, but the employer employer just needs fewer employees. It's actually where the employer uh, needs or wants fewer employees to do work of a particular kind. So Just some interesting and I'm an interesting, in as much as redundancy can be interesting. So there was a case called Timex Corporation v. Thompson, 1981, if you're really interested, which you won't be, it's IRLR 522. And uh, what was said in there was that the existence of a redundancy situation may hide the real reason for dismissal. And the quote there is even where there was a redundancy situation, it is possible for an employer to use such a situation as a pretext for getting rid of an employee who wishes to dismiss the very thought i'm sure has never crossed any of your innocent minds and you're all above board but sometimes some employers not you but some employers actually do do that now um the, the reality is that if where an employer alleges that the redundancy was not the real reason for the dismissal um and that the employer is hiding the true reason for dismissing them such as discrimination then in that kind of situation the background to the redundancy may rightly come under some kind of scrutiny of the encouragement of the employee or the employee's representatives to establish whether redundancy is a cover for something else, maybe perhaps sickness absence and the employer can't be bothered to go down a proper process or uh, conduct, but the, employee, the employee's just not done quite enough to dismiss just a disruptive influence. You don't want to take a risk in an SOSR dismissal or, or discriminatory, whether directly or more likely, say, disability indirectly. A discriminatory reason. So that's where perhaps the employer will look at the background. And all of these training sessions I say to everyone who watches: never put something in an email that you don't want the world to see. Um, you uh, make sure that you're always conducting your um email traffic as if a judge is watching. So please, no verbal criticisms of colleagues or employees, keep everything professional always in orally as well, but uh, in particular in, in email. Business closure is not just confined to permanent closure. Uh, the Employment Rights Act 1996 makes it clear that the cessation of business may be permanent or temporary. 1996, of course, I think was the year that Jerry Maguire came out, and uh, we are just talking earlier about how Dave thinks everything is recent and then realises it was 20-odd years ago. But 1996 for Jerry Maguire, unbelievable. There's kids, people being people have been born since. Absol- Absolutely <laughs> okay. nerve of these youngsters. Um, okay, workplace closure. I think I've covered uh, re, uh, redundancy situation. Yes, I think I've covered that. Right. Let me move on to the next one. I know there's loads more on that, but we just want to make sure that we don't we don't overrun. So special considerations um, in a redundancy situation, contract or factual test, mobility and flexibility clauses, and bumping. So. Um, the case of High Table Limited v. Horst and others, which I know you're all very familiar with, uh, said that the employee's place of work for redundancy purposes did, is determined by the factual circumstances which exist before the dismissal, not merely by the terms of the employee's contract, which makes sense, of course, because when we're looking at any of uh, contractual argument, I mean, the most recent high profile stuff has been less redundancy and more uh, in terms of whether people are employees, workers or self-employed. And the argument before the court in all of those cases is that the contract, which which said that they were self-employed, um, was was actually a sham clause, and, and in fact they were they were on the on the ground level and the, the everyday working relationship were more akin to employees slash workers than to self-employed. So whilst the contract is a good starting place, again, the, you have then got to look at whether the contract reflects the reality of the situation. Another good example, well another example is where somebody starts in a role, gets promoted within the business, never gets a new contract. To try and rely on the contract for the old role would clearly be absolute nonsense. You look at what the person's actually doing, and the key there is making sure that your contracts reflect what the employee is actually doing. And if the employee changes role or changes responsibility or tasks or duties within that role, the contract may have to be updated or you might want to update the job description whatever. And any legal help that you need, we would always recommend that you consult a lawyer, preferably a lawyer based at West 114 Wellington Street, Leeds, LS1 1BA. So, uh, just have a little think about that. If you are instructing other lawyers, for shame. So, (laughs) there may have been many cases uh, which have considered, sorry, there there have been many cases which have considered whether the place where the employee was employed, was that in their contract, which is the contract test or where they were actually um, working, the the factual test, and it's it's going to be the the factual test. The problem is most likely to arise where the employee's contract contains a mobility clause, which may state, for example, that the employee can be required to work anywhere within the UK or at any of the uh, other sites that the um, the employer operates from or somewhere within a reasonable daily uh, travelling distance of the existing premises where the employee works. Um, the mobility and flexibility clauses are the reason for uh, dismissal. Where a redundancy situation arises out of the closure relocation of a workplace, employees cannot argue that the existence of mobility clause means they're not redundant if the workplace closes. So for redundancy purposes, the workplace is where the employee actually works, not where they can be required to work. Conversely, Employers may try to use mobility clauses to relocate employees in order to avoid making them redundant. And if an employee refuses to relocate, their employer may be able to fairly dismiss them for misconduct and so avoid making redundancy payment. I only have one marginally entertaining story about um, a redundancy case. And that was one I did up in Newcastle many moons ago, acting for the respondent the employee hadn't taken suitable alternative work which uh, Dave's going to be talking about more and we were arguing he didn't even do the trial period he's not entitled to his, his redundancy pay and then I, don't, I can't remember what I was saying but halfway through the hearing uh, just after lunch the judge said uh, oh can I can I just pause there and just say Mr Robinson you've got a lovely sense of humor and I was sat on the client, thinking, oh God, I'm going to lose now, and I'm going to have to go back to the client and say, oh, We lost horribly, but at least, at least the judge thought I was funny, and, and we won thankfully, which is good news. But when he said that compliment, sort of blue, the only thing I could think of saying was, "You've got, you've got a cracking little beard, sir." Um, I didn't say it, but that was—I I thought what an odd compliment to make in the middle of a, a tribunal. So there you go. Anyway, um, employers uh, may try to use mobility clauses uh, to relocate employees in order to avoid making them redundant. Um, an employer that seeks to rely on a contractual mobility or flexibility clause must be satisfied that it can do so. Again, please do consult lawyers and also there's workplace, uh, the uh, employee relations issues and uh, relationships with the unions that you may want to consider before you make any decision to do so. If there isn't any enforceable mobility clause, and of course you, employers and employees, may come to an agreement to move employees uh, if they're willing to do so and you want them to move. Uh, in order to avoid a redundancy uh, situation, because the employee wouldn't be uh, dismissed. So a question, we've had a question from a viewer, so thank you for the the question. It's not so much a question as a series of numerous questions, but the answer uh, kind of covers it all. So the question from the viewer is, when an employee or employees are uh, contracted to work at a particular location, and this is expressed in the main terms, particulars of employment, and their workplace and work activities move to a new location some distance away. At what point in mileage or extra travelling time is it fair and reasonable to regard the employees as redundant? Five miles, 10 miles, 30 miles, 35 miles. What are the precedents? What factors have to be taken into account by the employer? And what if the employer refuses to terminate the employment contract? What claims can be made? So, answer for all of that is it'll depend on the terms of the contract and the factual circumstances if the workplace is closing the is redundant the issues of traveling time to a new workplace location will be one of the relevant factors when considering whether or not any refusal of suitable alternative employment is reasonable and actually may be a factor in deciding whether the um, suitable the employment is actually suitable in the in the first place and whether the employee forfeits any entitlement to a redundancy payment Where a mobility clause exists, the employer may choose not to treat the situation as one of redundancy at all. So a a short, concise answer to a long question. If that isn't um, a complete answer, by all means, email us and we can see if we can do anything more. Uh, Bumping uh, on the slide. Bumping, of course, is a process of moving a potentially uh, redundant employee into another role and dismissing the person who's currently performing that role. That would still be a redundancy dismissal even though there was no actual or anticipated reduction in the requirements uh, for employees to do that second employee's um, work. Okay. Um, okay, let me just scoot through this. So, And uh, The next one is business reorganizations and some other substantial reason or SOSR. So, uh, the question of whether reorganization is a fact of redundancy is fact-sensitive because it's not always the same thing. So the case was put by Burton P. in Kingwell and others v. Elizabeth Bradley Designs Limited. Uh, if a business reorganisation leads to a diminution in the requirement for employees carrying out the relevant work, then that business reorganisation leads to redundancy situation, and if not, not. So in an unfair dismissal case, uh, where the employer is unable to establish redundancy as the reason for dismissal, it may still be able to avoid a finding of unfair dismissal by proving there was some other substantial reason for the dismissal. SORSR is commonly relied on by employers in a reorganisation or restructuring exercise, falling short of redundancy, or where the employer needs to make changes to the employee's contract, such as reducing hours or benefits. Well, this is unlikely to amount to a diminished requirement for employees performing a particular kind of work. Uh, so, civil term employment. Dave will, be will I'll just touch on it. But the fair procedure uh, is effectively uh, this: you warn and consult employees or the representatives, if there, if there are any, about the proposed redundancy. You adopt a fair basis on which to select for redundancy, and you must identify an appropriate pool from which to select potentially redundant employees, and must select against um, uh, proper criteria. Consider suitable alternative employment. And uh, the poll, uh, in terms of how it's defined, well, it's not really a a fixed definition on the poll. What you would look at, you try and keep it as tight as possible, but not artificially tight. So you'd look at the following uh, factors. What type of work is ceasing or diminishing? The extent to which employees are doing uh, similar work, possibly even those other locations. The extent to which employees' jobs are interchangeable. Whether the employer genuinely applied its mind to the Composition of the pool, was the pool agreed with the union, if there is one, or employee representatives, if there are any, and then look at what the employee actually does. In terms of uh, selection, um, the selection should be, the criteria should be objective and capable of independent verification. This means the criteria should be measurable rather than based on just personal opinion. Um, and tribunals typically will not rescore re- employees what they might do is look at the scoring and, and see um, how the same questions been asked for employees. Is there an obvious discrepancy? So, if, say, one employee may have given exactly the same answer as another employee and yet been scored two while well, the other one scored eight. That's the kind of stuff where a tribunal would, would look at to, to, to see was there any indication that the dismissal was unfair, maybe it was predetermined, maybe it was a sham dismissal covering for something else. Uh, maybe there was two people doing uh, different interviews and scoring widely differently which meant that, that there wasn't a fair uh, selection for redundancy so then I think the matters that should be discussed during the individual consultation uh, process will uh, usually include one of the, or these sorry an opportunity for the employee to comment on the basis for election selection both in terms of the pool and the selection criteria and that's to be welcomed really as an employer because if the if the employee flags something up in the process that you can fix then unless it's a sham that should be welcome and if they don't flag anything up then and then challenge it at a tribunal, you're able to say, but we raised this with you and you couldn't think of any issue at the time. You didn't give us anything to go on. An opportunity for the employee to challenge the redundancy selection assessment and explain any factors that might have led to their selection. Same point as above. An opportunity for the employee to put forward suggestions for ways to avoid their redundancy, uh, whether it might be, they say, for example, <laughs> me and Bob have been talking and actually we would be willing to, to split it and do you know, two and a half days each, that kind of thing you might want to uh, consider or there might be another job that the employee says they, they want to do. So just listen to all these suggestions in good faith rather than just listening to them with the with the view of rejecting them because if you don't and the, and the employee goes to tribunal, a, a tribunal will consider them. So it's best to do it, a save uh, time and money in the long run. Consideration of alternative employment positions just to decide whether they're suitable or not and an opportunity for the employee to address any other matters or concerns that they may have. Okay, I've overshot where I've been, so I apologise um to David for that. So we might come on a bit a bit long.
1: Anyway, over to you. Thank you, Simon. Um, you have to excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough at the moment. Um, it is a genuine cough. Uh, it's not some sort of secret signal to Simon or cry for help to the <laughs> viewers. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to, to get through. he's this. being treated very well. <laughs> yes, yes. Um So dealing firstly with suitable alternative employment and uh, trial periods. Uh, For the context of suitable alternative employment, an employer must consider whether there are any alternative vacancies that a a potentially redundant employee can be offered. (coughs) When it comes to (coughs) deciding which candidates to award the vacancy to, um, an employer isn't expected to drop the same rigorous objective approach as it would when selecting which employees to be made redundant in the first place. Um, now, that comes from the case of Morgan against Welsh Rugby Union, uh, where the Employment Appeal Tribunal held that the employer had been entitled to undertake a competitive interview process and appoint the candidate it considered to be best for the job, even though this was based in part on its subjective view. In fact, Mr Morgan, in that particular case, um, on an objective standard, was more experienced, more qualified for the role, uh, but the interviewer simply prepared, preferred the uh, alternative external candidate. Um, so the um, key principle from that was that where, where you're looking at that forward-looking recruitment exercise, the employer must simply object, uh, uh, adopt a, a reasonable approach. Going back to the test of reasonable, reasonableness in Section 98.4 of the Employment Rights Act, um, and it'll be that test that determines whether or not the dismissal of an employee who's not selected is unfair. Um, an issue that can arise with suitable alternative employment is. If the employee uh, rejects an offer of suitable alternative employment, an employer might um, decide that the employee has forfeited their right to a statutory uh, redundancy payment. The key issue there will be key issues will be whether or not one, the alternative employment was suitable. Uh, So that's an objective test, and then there's a subjective element as well, uh, that being the issue of whether or not the employee has reasonably or unreasonably. Rejected the offer of suitable alternative employment, and that will be um, determined according to the circumstances of that particular employee. So factors such as childcare, uh, other caring arrangements, um, the workplace location, the time of the work, that can all be relevant in deciding whether or not the employee is reasonably or unreasonably rejected that alternative employment. Um, it, it doesn't often become an issue because um, it's not a particularly attractive position for an employer to. Take, um, they're almost inevitably going to end up with a claim from the employee, uh, and it doesn't help general workplace relations as well. Uh, but it is something to, to, to consider. It can be uh, perhaps particularly important um, if the uh, employee is entitled to an enhanced contractual redundancy payment. Um, trial periods uh, so, where there is suitable alternative employment that's offered and accepted, um, that will be subject to a statutory uh, trial period. The trial period is for the employee to try out the role and see whether or not they they like it uh, and for the employer to try out the employee in the role and see whether or not the employee um, is capable of performing in the role. Um, A statutory trial period can be extended. It's normally four weeks. It can be extended, um, but only where the purpose of the extension is to retrain the employee. Um, Something that I would um, mention from an unfair dismissal perspective as well is that consideration to a trial period should always be given an employers considering whether or not it should offer somebody suitable alternative employment just bear in mind there will be that trial period and not giving consideration to that might be classed as unreasonable by the tribunal turning to collective consultation um so where there's a proposal to dismiss as redundant 20 or more employees at one establishment within a 90-day period the employer will have to engage in collective consultation uh, with a trade union or if there's no union with uh, elected employee representatives. Um, so where the employer is proposing to dismiss between 20 and 99 employees the consultation must be for uh, the consultation must begin at least 30 days uh, before the first dismissal takes effect where it's more than that 100 or more employees consultation must begin at least 45 days uh, days before the first dismissal takes effect. Um, it used to be 90 days. That was reduced um, in April 2013 to 45, um, which sounds relatively recent to me. Uh, and then I realised actually it was six years ago, and that's quite depressing. Um, but uh, hey ho. Um, now a common misconception is that the collective consultation must last for the uh, minimum period of, of like 30 or 45 days. Actually, that's not the case. Um, the requirement is that that period must elapse from the start of the consultation to the um, first dismissal that takes effect of of the employees. Um, As an employer, if you're thinking of making 20 or 21 employees redundant, uh, arguably think about making 19 employees redundant and also avoid these additional uh, complications and and, and liabilities, but I guess you should be led by the needs of business. Um, the maximum sanction for breaching the obligations is a protective award of up to 90 days gross pay for each affected employee. And that's actual pay and, and um, gross, not net. Uh, so there's, there's no statutory cap. Uh, so it can be quite an expensive liability uh, if you get that wrong. And just bear in mind that um, the uh, uh, obligation kicks in when there's a proposal um, which is is more than contemplating it, but it's some sort of uh, concrete decision to to make more than 20 employees uh, redundant. And it's not a substitute for individual consultation as well. Um, Now, we've thought about things from the unfair dismissal perspective, the collective consultation and individual consultation perspective. There are other factors that um, should be considered in any redundancy consultation process. Um, you don't want to fall foul, of course, of uh, discrimination um, laws. So um, any redundancy selection criteria that discriminates directly uh, on any of the protected the basis of any of the protected characteristic or fixed term or part-time status employees will be discriminatory and unlawful. If criteria have an indirectly discriminatory effect, and they will be unlawful unless they're capable of objective justification. Um, so, for example, LIFO. Last in, first out, used to be very popular as a basis to select for redundancy, or well, that will be um, indirectly discriminatory um, on the grounds on age and very possibly on the grounds of sex as well. Um, use of attendance records because raise issues of sex or disability uh, discrimination. So the message there is that uh, you can rely on that sort of criteria uh, on the face of it. Um, they're, they're, they're capable that, you know, they could be relevant they could be uh, um, represent important business considerations if you decide that actually those are important criteria uh, that the business needs to factor in going forward um, by all means use them but have a basis for that uh, and in and in order to minimize the chances of an unlawful uh, discrimination finding have other criteria as well don't have that as the uh, sole or the main criteria um, Women who are on maternity leave um, have a right to be offered any suitable alternative vacancies if they've been selected for redundancy. So um, there's, uh, again, a a common misconception, often a bit of confusion. Um, Women who are on maternity leave don't have the right not to be selected for redundancy. You can score them with everybody else, um, but it's once they've been selected for redundancy, they're first in the queue for any suitable alternative roles. That applies as well. Um, to people on adoption leave and shared rental leave. Uh, The government announced in July of this year that protection will be extended um, to six months after that employee returns from the relevant period of uh, leave. Um, We are going too far in seeking to protect um, women on maternity leave. There was a case of Eversheds against uh, the Berlin where um, you might say that the first thing that Eversheds got wrong was not calling Robertson Ralph for advice. Um, but the, the the second thing they got wrong was that um, uh, well the, the background was that the uh, trib- tribunal upheld by the Employment Appeal Tribunal found that the employer had discriminated against a male lawyer on grounds of sex when in a redundancy scoring exercise it inflated the score of his female colleague to take account of the fact that she was on uh, maternity leave. Um, so uh, whatever Sheds did there was simply scored the woman on maternity leave uh, top marks, um, where actually the tribunal, of the EAT said, well, you've gone too far there. Um, You're entitled to take steps to protect women on maternity leave, but actually you've gone further than is necessary. What you should have done um, is look back at when she was in the workplace um, and score her on, on a representative basis rather than simply saying full marks. Final slide. Um, something for the business to factor in when it's making decisions about whether or not to uh, make redundancies or uh, um, accept people for voluntary redundancy is the amount of redundancy pay liability that will be at stake Um, so firstly is it statutory redundancy pay or or is there an enhanced contractual scheme in place an enhanced contractual scheme could be found in the contract Um, it could be found in a, a collective agreement or perhaps in a policy that's been incorporated um into the contract there could sometimes be a dispute about whether or not a discretion that's been exercised on a repeated basis over a long period of time has actually become a contractual right Um, now if if that's you as an employer that's something you might want to consider Uh, and the the sort of nub of the issue there will be um when that discretion has been exercised has it been exercised using the language of discretionary entitlements discretionary payments or uh, has it been exercised using the language of obligation or entitlement um, for, for, for entitlement to that that enhanced redundancy payment um, up on the screen are the factors that are used to calculate the statutory redundancy pay and, and that web link there contains a link to the government website um, which will calculate it for you uh, many of you may well be familiar with redundancy payment ready reckoners which i i love um, really familiar with they, they make life um, really. Easy.
0: And we've got some some questions. Uh oh, crakey. Um
1: uh, Should we do that first one? Yeah. Janice. Yep. Yeah. Um or Janice, sorry. Uh, Janice. <laughs> Janice. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm so uh um stylish and cool that I pronounce Janice Janice. Um is there any guidance around length of closure? would be reasonable to trigger redundancy. But I think, like um, many uh, sort of questions on unemployment, or really it depends on the facts. Um, it, there isn't particular guidance. There are there are examples. Um, what can factor in is the reason for the closure. So there was a case where there was a four week closure um, where a business—it was a restaurant—was. Uh, closing down and reopening as a a, a slightly different type of restaurant—it's sort of like a burning Inn becoming a harvester. Other restaurants that are available, or, or something like that. Um, and, it, and it was how that, that temporary workplace closure actually um, didn't create a, a redundancy situation because there was similarity uh, in the types of, of business. as if it had been closing down from a restaurant to become um, a, 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 you know, a sort of beauty salon, and things might have been might have been different. So I think key thing is. Um, look at the length of closure. Look at the intentions behind it. Look at the reason behind it, um, and um, it, you have to form a, a, a decision on on the facts. Consider as well if the business is changing hands, whether or not GP uh, applies as as well. We've got another question from someone who, David probably pronounces Nadia, but I think the rest was <laughs> pronounced
0: Nadia. Yeah, uh, Nadia. Um, so we, we're, what we'll do is, uh, Nadia, we'll send you across answer to those two. Uh, questions and also questions from if you leave them there's a couple coming up and disappearing again but Nadia and Abby and Gemma if you leave your questions there we'll get you answers across um free of charge obviously through the through the power of the internet we've got a final question here which is why do you two look so ridiculous and that's from Mr. Samuel Higgins back at Robinson Ralph HQ so we'll be having a word with him when we get back okay we've run out of time i hope you've enjoyed that as, as much as you can enjoy that and uh, you'll be getting a free copy of it um and it'll go on our website as well but as i say nadia i'll be gemma we shall come back to you with uh with answers okay thank you all very much
1: Bye.